This morning we continue on in our series, The Light Has Come, and John helped us open that up last week. This week we're going to continue on in the second week of that series, and the title of this morning's message is The Light Guides Us. The Light Guides Us. It is said of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, verse 16, Matthew chapter 4, verse 16, here is what it says reading from the English Standard Version. It says, The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. For those who lived in the land where death cast its shadow, a light has shined. Let's read that one more time. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. For those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. So what's Christmas all about? It can be easily summarized in that one statement. The people who sat in darkness saw a great light. In the Bible, you find this theme between darkness and light very clear, running from the first chapter of the book of Genesis all the way to the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. The Bible teaches us that there are two paths. There is the path of darkness and there is the path of light. And you and I this morning are on one path or the other. There is no in between. Now I'd like to read to you a little bit about what the path of darkness is really like. It says this regarding those who are in darkness and this is an excerpt from the Book of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 18 through 19. It says, they are darkened in their understanding. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous, giving themselves up to sensuality. Now let me pause here for a second. Can we continue on in that verse, verse 19? Ephesians 4, 18 through 19. They have become callous, given themselves up to sensuality. They have no sense of shame. Verse 19. Thanks so much. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. The scripture very clearly speaks and it says... This is part of the dark path. The dark path is where you lack understanding, but you think that you have the light because you're living your truth. It's the path where there is seeking, but there is never a finding. There is a desire, but it never leads to fulfillment. Two weeks ago, I met with someone who gave me his testimony who knows all too well about darkness. He began to pursue darkness and rebellious against his training as a pastor. And one of the things that he told me is he said, darkness is incremental. You begin at one point, and then you end up going where you never thought that you would go. And he said to me, I pursued these big three things. The big three were this, money, some fame, and power which he had, and sex, 
because that's the path to happiness. And it brought him into such deep darkness, he said that he didn't know whether or not he could make it. And he cried up to God and finally received Jesus and received the gift of light. You see, that's what darkness is like. Darkness is terrible. Now, that's moral darkness that we've just finished speaking of. But there's also such thing in scripture as religious darkness. In John chapter 7, Jesus goes to a feast in Jerusalem. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles, which Jews celebrate till this very day, where for a week, they live out in a tent. They live in a tent to symbolize the fact that they came through the desert and God took care of them even when they didn't have permanent houses. And so there they are at the Feast of Tabernacles, and when they're there, it says in John 7... Verses 37 and 38 says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now that caused some division among the people. Now when you think of the Pharisees, who are this religious segment who are always at odds with Jesus, they're not necessarily bad people in a sense. They were people who were addicted to their rules, and to them, religion was their rules. And so they say later on in these verses that if you believe in Jesus, you are deceived. That was their statement, the Pharisees. That's where they were. Now, if you come to chapter 8, you have a story that we have frequently known and read before and that I've preached on before. It's the story of a woman who was caught in adultery where Jesus is confronted by these people and they're trying to trip Jesus up. And they say, well, this woman is caught in the very act of adultery. What do you want us to do with her? Because the law of Moses says we should stone her. All right, now, now stoning her is not 1960s getting stoned. All right? This thing, they would have thrown rocks until you were beaten and bloody and then continued to throw rocks until you were leveled on the floor and completely dead and there was nothing left of your carcass. Jesus said, hey, I love, I love the way Jesus talks, honestly, because he is so confrontationally non-confrontational, right? He'll make you walk out of a room leaving really, really happy and you just don't know that you just got called a dead dog, you know? And, and so he, he goes up to them and he says, go ahead, stone her. But you, if, if you've not committed a similar sin, you throw the first stone. The Bible says that beginning with the eldest, they all began to walk away. And in fact, in chapter 8, it says the woman was caught in the act of adultery. What do you mean this woman was caught? Think about this for a second. I want you to read inference sometimes into scripture where possible. What do you mean the woman was caught in the act of the adultery? Do you, y'all know what a peeping Tom is? Do you know what a peeping Tom is, right? All right, what kind of perverse individual was looking through the window or the doors of their house or listening in to find out or to figure out what was going on? Think about that for a second. So let's think about this for a second. Who was truly caught in the act of adultery here? They were with their hypocrisy 
But you know, you, you mentioned, we mentioned two different forms of darkness. Moral darkness and then religious darkness. This religious darkness is a kind of self-righteousness. It is a hypocrisy which Jesus spoke out against. And I think I could say definitively that he hated this kind of religion. He may have loved the people, but he hated what their religion was doing to them. Their religion taught them, and and let me tell you, I want to read this to you for a second, if I could, because I think it's powerful. And please don't get offended for me for uh, reading this at all. But I think it, it is... I, thought, I think it's so important to be said. One of the greatest preachers in all of evangelical Christianity spoke out today, and he says this in an interview with Timothy Keller, who is one of the greatest preachers and theologians right now in Christianity. He said this. He said, when, when I pressed the point further, Keller admitted that he believes that most Christians are just nowhere nearly as deeply immersed in the Scripture and in theology as they are in their respective social media bubbles and newsfeed bubbles. To be honest, I think the woke evangelicals are much more influenced by MSNBC and liberal Twitter. The conservative Christians are much more influenced by Fox News and their particular news loops, and they're both living in those things eight to 10 hours a day. And they go to church once a week and they're just not immersed in the kind of biblical theological study that would nuance that stuff. Too often he believes there's no relationship between a proper Christian ethic and the way it translates into political and cultural engagement. It's not the doctrine that's at fault, Keller would argue. It's the way people are taught and interpret it. It's a failure of imagination and of hermeneutics. If we don't base our theology on the Bible and you're getting all your information from Fox News and MSNBC and CNN, then you're doing something wrong. The Bible is what needs to be able to inform you. And every once in a while, those news agencies are getting some stuff wrong and they are indoctrinating you with their particular philosophical thought and bent on viewing this world. So this is the context that we approach our text today, which is in verse 12. So if we think of Jesus being at the Feast of Tabernacles, we think of him there. He's saying, I am the living water. He also then goes on to say, I am the light of the world. Now, this is particularly interesting. The reason that this is interesting is because at this feast, they would have had a candelabra. Y'all know what a candelabra is? Think of Hanukkah, right? Massive, massive, massive. A candelabra that was larger than me with these different uh, golden lampstands. And they had candles that were so powerful that when these candles were lit, it is said that they lighted up the courtyards in all of Jerusalem. These candles represented the light which God used to lead the people of Israel through the desert, the cloud during the day and the fire by night. That's what they were trying to illustrate with this candelabra. And so now in the middle of all of this celebration, Jesus says, I am, I am the light of the world. 
Now he says this to shock them. He also says this because he wants to show them he is the supreme light. He eclipses all other lights. Now y'all know what it's like when you're living through a, a power outage. For you guys who are in the Vernon West Milford area, I know you guys went through a long-term power outage just this week due to, uh, due to the storm. And so we, we end up sitting there in our homes and in our apartments. And, and Crystal and I have been through this before where I thought to myself, hey, I remember exactly where I put the flashlight. And then I discover that it's absolutely not where I had total confidence that it was. And Crystal might take and go and, and light a candle. And when the lights come back on, what do you do? You extinguish the candle and you turn the flashlight off. Why? Light has come. Jesus is saying, I'm the light of the world. And when I appear, all other lights go into oblivion. So today I want you to understand that if you're interested in knowing God, if it is your desire to know God, it must be because you're here today that you need to come to the Lord Jesus first. Light in the Bible is frequently used as a synonym for God. For example, in the Old Testament, it said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? In Isaiah chapter 60, it says that God is our everlasting light. Now, here's what we're going to do this morning. We're, we're going to go on a journey and we're going to see how Jesus guides us at the beginning of the journey and how he is with us at the end of our journey. See, he is called the light of the world and you cannot begin your journey of faith without believing in Jesus when you begin that journey, what happens is, is that light comes into your soul. So first off, our conversion is instantaneous. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul's taking his readers all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, to the creation of the world, when God says, let there be light. See, that's what happens when you're converted. We call it new birth. We call it being born again. It is instantaneous. One moment you are in the kingdom of darkness, and in an instant moment you are translated into the kingdom of God's Son, the kingdom of light. It's also miraculous. Scripture says if a man be in Christ, he is a new creation. It is a miracle that happens in the heart that you cannot in and of yourself do. It's not a matter of determining that you're going to do better, that you're done with your old life, that you're going to start to go to church, or that you're going to begin to live a new life. No, this is something that God does. It is miraculous. It is instantaneous. And it has to do with the giving of light and the transference from one kingdom to another. Now, I want to speak to you candidly today, if I could. If you cannot pinpoint a time or phase or a moment when you receive Jesus as your Savior, then I would say to you, almost certainly that moment has not occurred in your life and that you need to revisit this so that you can receive God's light, the light of our Savior. See, Jesus is there at the beginning of our journey. He's there at the beginning of our experience, but Jesus is also there as he leads us through our journey. 
Scripture says this, as many are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Those who follow me, Jesus said, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It says in the book of Romans very clearly that if we are led by the Spirit, that we are the sons of God. It said, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness within us that we are the children of God. That's what happens when we receive the light. We have the assurance that we belong to God, not only because of his word, but the witness of the Spirit of God in us. That's the assurance of the Spirit of God. I read something the other day that, that a pastor posted on social media, and I loved it so much. It said, sin is intermittent, but sainthood is eternal. Amen. Come on now. You can fall into moments of sin. It's just intermittent, but your salvation is secured in the Lord Jesus. God's spirit has sealed you. God is not going to somehow unadopt you as his child. So Jesus comes and, and along and gives us the light in terms of leadership, moral leadership. You know, after we receive the light, we sometimes go into darkness. Haven't we all had that experience before that after becoming a Christian, we've crossed the line? In other words, we know for sure that we're going across the line and that we're sinning at this point now. How do we know that, though? It's because the Spirit of God the Spirit of Jesus is the one who tells us by convicting us, lets us know, hey, you've crossed the line. And so he leads us in many ways, spiritually, yes, but he also leads us morally. The Bible says this, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So the word of God leads us. It also allows us to be led even as we follow Jesus spiritually and morally. So Jesus is with us throughout the journey. But he's also with us at the end of the journey. Jesus says this. I want to look at the text again. He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. But I want you to notice this right now. We'll have the light of life. The light that leads to life. Life with a capital L. Jesus says this, if you follow me, you'll have the wisdom, you'll have the insight, you'll have the stability of the work of the Spirit of God within your heart, that you'll be led to live your life as God desires. Everyone, everyone wants a life of fulfillment, a life of joy, a life of purpose. Jesus gives that to us here. So he's with us through the journey, at the beginning of the journey, through the journey, but he's also with us at the end of the journey. There's this story in the book of Acts that speaks to us about the very first person to be killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. He was a deacon in the church. His name was Stephen. When Stephen was being stoned to death, the heavens were open. And Jesus was standing on the right hand of God. And what was Jesus doing at the right hand of God? He was welcoming Stephen. Ten times or so in the New Testament, it says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. This is the only time 
in all of scripture when it says that Jesus was standing at the right hand of God. Why? Because he was there welcoming Stephen, saying, Stephen, you're going through a very difficult moment right now. It's a time when you're in great pain because these rocks are causing you immense pain. But I'm here for you. I am here to welcome you into glory. I am here to welcome you into your reward. I am here to give you utter joy and utter peace. See, accepting grace is very difficult. If you think of the gracious way which Jesus dealt with the woman that we just talked about a few moments ago, you know that no man has condemned you. I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. So we question, where was Jesus with all of the laws and all the rules and all the things that made up Judaism of that day? See, it's not as if Jesus was disregarding them. He was fulfilling them. But he was also fulfilling them by pointing to a better way. The way of grace. The way of forgiveness. The way of love. And that can be difficult to accept for some people. You see, religion is self-righteousness. Religion is ritual. It is not relationship. See, you could be brought up today in a very religious and, and a religious home and it can do one of two things for you. It will either make you really feel good because you think that you're better than you really are or it'll turn you off and you'll be like that friend that I told you about in the beginning of the message that made a decision to reject it all and to go into a life of sin and to dig himself deep in darkness. Religion can be a great stumbling block. Religion can, in fact, block the light in your life. See, when you and I receive Jesus Christ as Savior, light comes into our heart. That doesn't mean that we cannot again walk in darkness. We can give darkness and feed darkness into our heart. But once that is exposed to God, forgiven and cleansed, the light destroys the darkness. That's why it says in the scriptures, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. The reason that it's so necessary to believe in Jesus is because Jesus is the only one who can take away our sins so that we can have fellowship with God. Because in God, there is no darkness at all, Scripture says. None whatsoever. It cannot even exist before His presence. And so we want to have fellowship with God. And when we want to have fellowship with God, we come to God through Jesus who cleanses us, who makes us acceptable to the Father because of His sacrifice on the cross. And there we are. And we discover that no matter how dark our lives are, light will always defeat darkness. I may be speaking to somebody today, and this message may be designed especially for you because you look into your life and you see a lot of darkness, religious darkness, moral darkness. You have a cave that you've called yourself into and you've closed the mouth of it and you said, this is all dark. But when Jesus comes in, that darkness has to leave. It is more powerful than the darkness that you will bring to him. There's a final lesson in all of this today. Both light and darkness have a destination. The Bible says to us very clearly that if you walk in darkness, 
you end in darkness. And John wrote this about the final destiny of all who follow Jesus, all who follow the light. He says this in the book of Revelation. He says, and I saw no temple in the city, for the temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp, remember we spoke about before, Feast of Tabernacles, Candelabra. Jesus is saying, I'm here to outshine this thing. And its lamp, the book of Revelation says, is the lamb. By its light will the nations walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, I need to clarify that there are plenty of people who are going to be in heaven who've done detestable things and false things. It's speaking of those who did those things, but they never gave their heart to the light. They lived in darkness. They died in darkness. But those who live in the light end in the light. The very last stanza of the song Silent Night says this. It says, Silent night, holy night, Son of God, love's pure light, Radiant beams from thy holy face. With the dawn of redeeming grace, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Jesus is the light of the world, offered to everyone. You must receive it. Receive it as a gift by faith, and the light will break forth into your soul. If you've never received Jesus, if you've never said, I've had that moment where I've believed in Jesus, then I encourage you to pray today to receive Christ as your Savior in your heart. So would you join me in a prayer as we have our worship team come forward?